I believe that what we want more than anything is to know that our life matters. We want to feel seen and heard and to know that we belong and have a purpose. I've seen this in CEOs, teachers, convicts, parents, students, our senior population, and everyone else I've met along my journey of understanding why my life matters. I started this podcast to create a space for us to come together, to be human, to grow, to share, to be real, and explore this thing called life. I wanted to have conversations with people to better understand the moments that shaped them and to celebrate their story, knowing we would all be better off for it. I'm so happy you were here to join us in the middle. For when we step out into the middle, we create moments that change us forever. Hopefully this will be one of those moments for you. I started this podcast with Bob Goff as my first guest, and I'm finishing my first season, episode 12, with Marcus Murphy as my guest, because these two men had such an impact in me even creating this. Uh, this is really just a chance for me to say, Marcus, thank you. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. And you've taught me so much about myself and also the world. And I can't wait to share this conversation that we had with the listeners, because I know they're going to enjoy you as much as I do. So listeners, get ready for an awesome one. Marcus Murphy, it is so good to have you here on the Middle Podcast. Uh, this is about as full circle as it gets, and it's I'm just so honored, man. Oh, my goodness. Like, how could I? First of all, I'm honored that you would bring me on a show. I've been listening to the episodes. I don't know why you're having me on here because of all the <laughs> other amazing human beings who have, have graced this uh, this show. But, dude, I, I yeah, it has been a full circle. And I'm just so amazed by you and just the way that you put things in the world and what you care about and creating space for people like, yeah, dude, this is, this is such a meaningful moment for me. Well, and for the listeners, just to kind of give some context here. So I was sent an email from a friend of a video that I don't think I was even legally able to view because I think you had to have login <laughs> information. <laughs> And it was a gentleman named Marcus Murphy doing an incredible training on how to maximize LinkedIn, um, you know, to grow your business. And, and I was just like a sponge, man, all in. And I then kind of researched Marcus and realized he, you know, he's a pretty big dude in terms of the stuff he's accomplishing in the world. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to reach out to him. And mm -hmm. I thought the chances of hearing back were like zero to none, mm -hmm. but sure as shit, there's Marcus Murphy responding back to me. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is the way that you did it. Like I get so many people that reach out to me. Like that's not a flex. That's just, I just have a lot of people reach out about different right. things, wanting things for me. That's both my teams and people that I don't know. Right. So everybody wants something at some point, but like your very humble message just cut through all of that because it wasn't an ask. It wasn't selfish ask. It was like, Hey, this is what I resonated with. And there was some personalization to it. It felt very human. And I was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. I'd love to hop on a call with this guy or hear what his story is or what he's trying to accomplish. And I think it was just, you know, fate, honestly. Right. It yeah, had to yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and, um, you know, I know, I, I know how you're going to receive this, but I just ask you to receive it. And not to not to to shun it, but um, you know, because of Marcus Murphy, you know, this podcast is here, and and I'm doing what I'm doing. And I, when I reached out to him and he responded, you know, he offered to do some coaching with me. And 
it was something that I really couldn't afford, but it's something that I also could not afford not to do. And, mm-hmm. and the process that we did together um, and Marcus, I, besides all the business strategy and all the kind of the X's and O's and everything of it all, the thing that you did for me that, that I don't know if you fully appreciate is you finally helped me find myself and, and who I am and, and how to, how I show up in the world and, and, and what that gift is and can be for, for not just for other people, but also for myself. And once I better knew who I was, then I was able to create that in the world. But first it started with you helping me find me. And, um, you know, the word no, the name Noah will be forever a special name for me. And uh, so for that, I just can't thank you enough, man, because it just opened up the gates. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, Yeah, it's always hard for me to receive that because you had to do a hell of a lot of work uh, to get, sure. <laughs> yeah. to get to, you know, it's, yeah. it's funny, it, you know, and I think, I think what I saw in you from early, you know, and that's, I think it's funny. I, I really do believe that is something that I have. Like if people go, Oh, well, what is that thing? You like, there's something you have here. It's like, yeah, I actually think I see more in people than they see in themselves. Mm. And I also think that you were, it's a, it's a frustrating life walking through and feeling like you're a foreigner in your own land. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. And so many cases with you, I was just like, man, there's just a person in there that this guy's got to tap into because the job you have to do now walking into this big thing that you're taking on and changing a lot of people's lives means that you truly have to change your own. And you truly have to embody confidently this person that can move mountains because that's what it takes to, to achieve your goal. And the cool thing about you is just that you had it in you. Like you, you actually did all the work. And sometimes when you go to people and you say, Hey, I see this in you though, there's an unwillingness to, yeah. to actually go take action. And, and then that's just definitely not you. Yeah. And it, it's hard when you, it's hard when you believe in somebody maybe more than they seem to believe in themselves. Right. And you, you see it quite often. And the people that we meet that, that want certain things in their life, they want to, um, you know, change from point A to point B, um, but maybe they don't believe in themselves. Maybe they they have these fears and things that hold them back. And and uh, you know, it's it's an honor to be able because I do this too. You know, my every Monday matters life. It's an honor to kind of step into that space and say, no man, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's in you. You got it. And I think, I guess I've done that a lot myself for other people, but I never had someone really do it for me. And so it was just. It was incredible. And hence the full circle that now we're here on this podcast talking about life and moments and everything. So um, thank you for for that moment. Um, Well, at the end of the day, I I do this podcast because I want to showcase incredible people. And and you're certainly one of those people. And I feel like we all have this ability to teach a masterclass in something. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people can teach several masterclasses. um, Some of us just one, right? And but um, when I meet folks like you, I want to share you with the world because I got to benefit from it. I think the world can as well. And so maybe let's just start with with you, who you know, who you are. We can get to what you do later, but I just want to who is Marcus Murphy? And, you know, you're you have a, a black father, you have a, a white Italian mother, you have this mixed background, uh, yep. you've lived all over the world, literally like. Who are you? Wow. Yes. I'm all those things and above. I think I'm a guy dedicated to figuring it out. (laughs) And uh, I've never learned anything in success. 
Um, so I've, I've learned a lot of hard lessons in my life. And I think that, yeah, you know, identifying is interesting you said I have a, you know, I do have a black father and I have a, a, a you know, Italians will say they're Italian and not white, but they're white. Okay. Everybody just, <laughs> I just want to come on the show and tell everybody that the Italians out there, you're, you're white people by all means, unless you're in Sicily somewhere and whatever. But my hope, my hope, my whole point is my, my mother was, was white. My dad's black. And I, I, for the, the life of me as a kid was, there was a moment where someone had to tell me that I wasn't one or uh, either of those things. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's funny when you're a kid, cause my girls, uh, somebody had to tell them that they were white or someone had to tell you that you're black when you're a kid, somebody has to say you're different or give you an identity in that way. When it comes to race, I, I think that for a very long time, no one ever really said something to me um, until I was a very young kid, like kind of like middle school kid where uh, someone would come up and tell me that I, I'm different or I can't, or they would say some derogatory thing to me that they probably heard from their parents. Cause as a, as a kid, you don't really know. You're not, you, you're, you learn hate, right? You learn right. prejudice. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that I, and I had all the advantages. I went to private schools, like which are predominantly white neighborhoods and where I grew up was very rural area and, and predominantly white, but I have a very black family on my dad's side who I grew up with. Uh, and then they also had a bunch of people in there in my side of my dad's family who uh, dated and married outside of their race. And so mm. I kind of grew up with very much a, a lot of people who kind of didn't look like me in both ways. And I'll tell you, it's funny because racism is on both sides of that aisle. Like I remember never being black enough mm. and never being white enough. And it's funny because it's always, it's, it's comes up as this thing where I just become kind of this racially ambiguous, you know, right. uh, blob in the world. And so I never truly made race a part of my identity. I know that sounds really crazy because a lot of people really want me to be something or want me to be one or the other, but I've actually, because I haven't put it on as my full identity, I've never actually had it as a limitation with people uh, or anything that gotcha. I can and can't do. Because when you put on an identity that somebody else gives you, you yeah. assume you assume those characteristics of the identity. So people will expect you to be a certain way because you proclaim that you are this big generalization. And I just can't do that. Like, I just cannot be that. So right. I have people come up to me and it, and it causes problems. Sometimes people come up to me and they say, you know, would you like a banana or a plantain, <laughs> you know, and it's oh like, my God. well, I'm not, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not those things. It's like, you know, I get yeah. it. Uh, it could be a lot, but yeah, I, I've had some funny run-ins, but yeah, my, my existence started with uh, a black father and a white mother putting me into this world where I have just been, I navigated that by kind of not ignoring it, but not necessarily letting it define me. And then I, throughout my whole life, uh, will always be very clear with people that who my parents are and what my makeup is, but I I have never truly put it on as my full identity because of the generalization of characteristics that come with it that don't necessarily define who I am, and so I think that's kind of where I've always landed on it. To be you honest. know, it's, it's interesting. I I understand um, what you're saying because you know I'm Armenian. And, but I'm third generation, you know, Armenian yeah. here in the United States. And so my great grandparents came here over a hundred years ago, but I also live in Los Angeles where there's a heavy Armenian population, but a lot of those folks are, you know, first generation Armenians. And during genocide, they fled, they fled to surrounding Middle Eastern regions and then eventually came here, you know, more recently. Yeah. And, and I didn't marry an Armenian woman. I don't speak Armenian. I didn't grow up in, in a community of Armenians. And, and so um, 
I hear it all the time. I heard it several times from Armenians here in LA that like, I'm a disgrace to the motherland. So I'm not, I'm not Armenian enough, you know? And, and it's like, but I'm a hundred percent Armenian, but I'm still not Armenian enough. Yeah. And and so I, I, I I get what you're saying. You know, what's interesting though, too. It's, it's also really easy for me to be very proud of my heritage as well. Like I'm very proud of being black. I'm very proud of being Italian and having those roots and and having these cultural pockets that kind of uh, are, are very much familiar to me. But what I'm trying to, what I'm not saying is that I'm not proud of them. What I, what I'm not saying is that um, I, I don't identify with black mm-hmm. people or mm-hmm. Italians. I'm just saying that I am my own thing. Yeah, and at some yeah. point I had to humanize that and find some way to connect with people because I never truly was kind of like anyone. And so the way that I had to find connections with other people was, was different characteristics and different identities and finding a way to do that. And so I, cause I never felt, you know, it's funny just to, just to, just to give you an example, like everything that was happening, we've had obviously a, a major, major upheaval way before COVID. Um, we had some some crazy racial tension with everything that was happening in the U.S. and just around the world. And you know, people finally so. standing up for themselves and talking and really, you know, bringing bringing really terrible things to light, especially in the black community. And during that time, I have a, a, a slew of black friends, but everyone's black experience was so different. Yep. Like growing up, it was like different shades of blackness because people grew up, you know, black people based on where they grew up in the world were very different people. And so I just think that it's hard because we're always put into these big, huge buckets, these big generalizations when in true, like the truly where all of, you know, your identity comes from is is a very small, Mm -hmm. very personal experience. So, yeah. I I don't know where I went with that, but I do think, I do think that I, that does shape a lot of who I am um, and kind of how I approach life. Well, when um, you brought up something around the racism, so like when the black lives matter movement really started picking up some steam in the past, you know, a couple of years, um, were you feeling a pressure, like because of your reach and social media and things, were you feeling a certain pressure either directly or just mm-hmm. something you, you felt like to, to also be sharing more about that? And to be a louder voice for that, it's it's hard, right? Because I know I have a platform, and, right? And I want to, like, I I was I was there was moments where I was very upset. I was yeah. very upset because you know, and, and it wasn't Black Lives Matter movement or All Lives Matter movement, which is all funny to me because you know Black lives do matter. <laughs> like, you know, in fact, the reason why that is a thing is because they're not saying that white lives don't matter or other people outside of black. They're just saying that black lives need to be valued and they have been devalued. And so I just always was very frustrated with the whole thing because of just its timing. Like this didn't have to like, yeah, George Floyd was a very big thing, but that was just because it was caught on camera that one time. Right. Like this has been stuff that's been happening forever. So yes, black lives mattering in this moment was very crucial because um, for so long, everything else has told black people, black children, people of brown skin that their lives do not matter. That's right. And the actions of it don't matter. And so, yeah, I got I got behind that in the in the most public ways about bringing awareness to clarify that point and not be about, you know, it's not people taking a knee and disrespecting our flag. And it's not that, like I would always speak out about that. But I also had to be a little careful because when you look at me, you look yeah. at my life. 
my black experience is so different than a lot of people who are fully feeling this, like they can't wake up and take their blackness off. You know, like there, yeah, there's yeah. something that of me where I get to, I'm a bit of a chameleon. So I always felt like I needed to tread lightly because I, my, my black experience doesn't necessarily lend itself to being immediately identified as black. And so I, I, you know, I'm not getting the the brunt force of everything that is actually making me feel furious, right? Which, so, comes back, which gets back yeah. to your point of, you know, not being white enough or black enough, right? And you have to navigate right, right. that, you know, speaking of the middle, Marcus in the middle. Um, so one of, the, thank you for talking about that. You know, I mean, everyone says, don't talk about race or religion, right? And, um, and or, pol- or politics. And I don't know, like with you, uh, you know, you and I have never talked about, that topic much ourselves, but, um, to just kind of go there and, and, you know, share your experiences. I really appreciate. And um, no, I, I love this. Every, every thing that I get asked to do. And if, uh, whether it's a, yeah, I just did a CNBC interview and the good morning America interview and all those things. That's always about like business or my expertise in something, or they yeah. want to get my opinion about this thing that pertains to some business entrepreneurship thing. I rarely talk, get to talk about myself at all. So, uh, these questions are great because they, they, no one really asks these questions to me. So thank you. Okay, cool. So we're going to continue on that route because uh, I don't care about your technical expert. I just care about you as a human. Uh, so, uh, so again, a, a question I like to ask or kind of dig into in these conversations are they, these moments, these moments that define us, um, whether they're good or bad or ugly, um, yeah. you know, we learn, we grow, they inform, they form, um, you know, as you reflect on your life, um, I just want to kind of go there to a couple moments that kind of uh, maybe jump out for you that that had a profound impact on on who you are and why you are the Marcus Murphy you are today. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a there's there's a few obviously that stick out big time with me. Uh, they're both yeah. personal and professional, which is kind of a nice a little balance there of the middle of my life, and yeah. um, they all kind of feel connected. You know, I think I think one that happened recently, and I'm sure I'll go back in time here, but the recent one was about a, uh, almost two years ago, making a decision to leave a very lucrative executive position that, and everything that comes with that. And I, and it was an extraordinary position because I was traveling all over the world, and I was around celebrities, and I was at the right tables with the right people, and. I was I was literally traveling with somebody who, in my mind, is one of the smartest marketers on the planet. This guy named Ryan Dice, and I, I was I was doing all of that and speaking and training and doing everything. And I had the corner office, and I I had felt like I had everything right. Mm-hmm. And one day I there's two parts to this. One day I also realized that I was pushing down this thing that would make me the star of my own life, which is very interesting. Uh, because I was hiding in my career, and I'll get to that in a second. The second one was I I was losing my family. Mm. I, I've got two small girls, kids at home. I, I have a wonderful wife, but I was uh, intentionally not because my company was making me, but I was choosing the road. I was choosing building yep, yep. this big personal brand and this platform over them and being present. And when I was home from the road, I was not present. So it almost felt like I wasn't there and I was losing them. And I was, I was starting to, I was kind of sick of hiding and I, I just needed to make a decision. And really what, 
what pushed me over the edge was uh, going into the pandemic. And I remember being at home for the first time because I had to be. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I really wasn't working that much, but I kind of was working and we were all trying to figure it out. We didn't know how to do it. We were all kind of forced into some remote life. And I realized that I loved being around my family. And I remember when I, I remember when I put in my resignation, um, which was these, by the way, the, the, as an executive at this company, I had a 90 day wind down. It was unbelievable what they did for me because it just, it was, was wonderful how, how I exited this company. But I remember the first thing I did, Matt, was I went and built my girls a, a playhouse. And the reason why I built them this playhouse, which is crazy. If you ever look it up or you look up like uh look me up playhouse marcus murphy or whatever <laughs> all these pictures okay. come up because okay. i didn't even mean i didn't mean for it to do this but somehow it went viral but i didn't mean for it to i i stopped and built a playhouse for my girls because i um i had always said i would do it and i never would follow through because i would always put something over it or it didn't fit into the interview that i was doing or the plane that i was catching and uh and when i did that i just slowed down and i put on the belt and i looked at everything and i i became crafty and figured it all out and built the built a deck and a full thing and um and painted everything it was crazy but i you know by the way just a total side note i've all i always look at people like i go and do things with my hands a lot like i, I like manual labor because it's such a juxtaposition for my world and i i always look at like i'm like man why couldn't why couldn't I have just been created to go drive a train? You yeah. know, like on, yeah. on day, like why, why is it that I'm pushing and to, and doing all this stuff and being known and speaking and all this stuff. And why are those my skills? When, when I look over sometimes and I go, Oh, wouldn't it be great just to drive a locomotive across right. the country and stop it and go and pick up cars and get off. And that's it. You just get to get off work and go do it. You know what I mean? And yeah, that, I do. that romanticism of that is also why I built this and, and why I still go back to doing manual labor sometimes just because I don't have to do it, but it's so good for my soul, you know? Yeah. And, it's funny um, because I, I'm the same way. I've, I've just learned to love to build things and um, you know, it, it's probably not the best return on investment in terms of it's probably, you know, more effective just to hire somebody and then go, you know, go do the other things I do to make money and all that kind of bit. But there's something so nurturing for my soul about, you know, guard. I love to garden, love to get my hands in the dirt. I love to, to build things. Like, like I feel like every year my tool collection gets larger and larger and it's, <laughs> it's and time kind of, time kind of stands still. Like when you're, you just lose track and, and, um, what I think is wild about though, this, this dollhouse you built, um, or this playhouse that you built is that you ended up sharing that, right? Like on LinkedIn or something, which you used to be an yeah. executive at LinkedIn. Um, and that's story- advisory board member, but I, yes, I, I was, I, I, and it, it got a lot of attention and went viral, super viral. And, right. Uh, yeah. I ended up on good morning America and um, you know, just a bunch of like crazy stuff happened out of that. But what I realized was the reason why people resonated with it, because I wrote, I wrote the, copy of it when I put it up and I talked about how I, I almost lost this, you know, like mm. I almost, I almost gave this up and I, and I promised and promised and promised for so long to do this. And then I finally did it and it meant the world to my girls, but, but more so it meant a lot to me because it was a, it was kind of like I was putting a flag in the sand and saying, no, my life's going to be different now. 
Like, and so I, I left something that people probably thought I was insane for leaving. And I was like, no, I'm going to put them. I'm going to bring my girls to my things. They're going to sit in the green room with me. They're going to travel. Like I want to incorporate my family in something. So and, and in order for me to do it, I had to build it. Like yeah. I had, I had to build it because if I was doing it inside of somebody else's, somebody could tell me that I couldn't do that. And so I needed to make sure that I created capacity for them. So I just left behind what seemingly would have most people would be like, you're insane <laughs> to yeah, go yeah. build something yeah, else yeah. and and build and bring them along for that journey. So I was just praying that it wasn't too late. You know, that's, that's, that's what that, that whole post was about. And the cool part, Matt, is that everybody, like all these other people resonated with it because I think we all kind of go through that and, yeah. it, and we don't notice it until it's too late, you know? That's right. I mean, and, and sometimes, you know, you have to take extreme measures. I mean, the same thing for me when I left the music industry and, and for you, like, you know, not only did you step away from, you know, Silicon Valley and, and all, all that the whole tech world, and everything that, that that was for you, but you I mean, you moved across, across the world, like, <laughs> you, you stepped out, you know, you know what I will, I will share this with you on this podcast. Cause it makes more sense. I'll give you a real answer here. Okay. Because people are like, why London? Why did you, why did you up? You could have gone back to San Francisco. You could have gone anywhere. Why did you go to London? And I used to tell them, I was like, oh, I have business partners here in my new business. And so it makes a lot of sense. I'm around their teams and whatever. It was actually just because I just wanted something new. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. I What I meant was like America for me feels like it's one neighborhood that wherever I go, I'll bump into somebody that I know, not that I'm a celebrity like that, but just the people that will constantly remind me of the old life that I had. So yep. for me, I just moved to London because I like wanted to go around different corners and not have it remind me of a life that I left and just truly trying to come up with this new identity in a new place that is so in many ways foreign, even though I've been visiting here for years, living here is something different. And so, yeah, that's, that's the real answer is that I feel like I just needed a new neighborhood. If that makes sense. <laughs> Dude, it makes a lot of sense. And it, and it's also just good to know that about yourself, right? Like you, you know, we have, we have to know what's, what serves us best and, and, you know, finding a whole new pool to swim in sometimes is the best thing to do. Totally. And, and, and England is a fantastic place for whatever reason. I think most Americans think that England is like, uh, there's it's everybody speaks English. So it can't be that different <laughs> culturally. It is completely different. It oh, is a huge mixed culture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's fantastic and I'm, I'm loving every minute of it and it's been therapeutic for me, but yeah, that, that physical movement and like that transformation from my old self to a new one, I felt it needed to be physical and that's been really helpful. And now you get to walk your girls to school every day and pick them up every day. And I just think it's beautiful. I, I do. I, I do. I take them on a car. I take them on an electric cargo bike. If you ever <laughs> want to buy one, they're the best, it's, called, it's, called, it's, it's the best experience ever. I, I literally cycle them about seven miles. It takes me 30 minutes through traffic, double deckers, buses, all the stuff. The girls have pink helmets on and we're just grooving, doing our affirmations together. I take them into school. I go do whatever I have to do. And I cycle back and get them and take them home. And I'll tell you, um, I would have, never been able to do that had i not go and just you know yep. completely become be a lunatic so yeah that's a special time for me um by the way what is the what is that bike you know i'm not getting paid for it but I'll, i'm not afraid to plug it what is that bike yeah so, so it's called a babo B-A-B-B-O. okay babo babo curve and it's the coolest thing because the dutch do bicycles like nobody's business because obviously the netherlands it's a bike sure. bike bike first and so yeah we we have this killer we cruise and we have we have tunes on and we listen to <laughs> all kinds of stuff 
and just go get it. And uh, it's, that's, it's a really special time. That's so great. Uh, you also talked to me, you brought up in our conversations before um, about your father. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, mm-hmm. the, the journey there. Yeah. So my, my dad, uh, this is the, this is the part that I can unfortunately relate with a lot of black people is having a, an absent black father growing up. And I think, I think what's really crazy about that, that see, it's interesting what, what levels, levels the playing field and what connects people. And sometimes our tragedy and our hurt and our pain and all those things. But my, my dad was a, a, a drug addict and alcoholic and struggled with that for his whole life and went, you know, there were seasons where he was around and he was there, but the majority of my life, he was, he was absent and especially the formative parts of it. I was very fortunate that I had his dad, my grandfather there who, really um, kind of guided, guided me all the way up into my teenage years, which I was very fortunate to have that because a lot of kids with the absent black dad story don't have that, right? Like it's just, there is nobody there and mom's got to be everything. And fortunately I had my dad's dad who was there for all those formative years, which is really great. And that's actually crazy because that's not usually a part of the absent black dad story for most people. So I was very fortunate there, but yeah, my dad and I did not get along. There was, um, you know, and and I'll tell you when it when I became a dad, I actually ended up kind of thinking that I wanted nothing to do with him, <laughs> and so I for 13 years we didn't I didn't talk to him. I never responded. We never pursued each other. I, I just completely, completely cut him out of my life. And I'll tell you what's really wild about me that you probably don't know, um, and maybe you do, is I I can I can be angry very quickly, mm-hmm. Matt. And I think that uh, this old me before uh, what I'm about to share with you was very much this, this angry, secretly angry guy. Gotcha. And, and I think a lot of it was because of um, this, this unforgiving bitterness I had toward my father that I carried around with me. And you know, what's really crazy is that I remember there was a really specific moment where I don't know if, I don't know if anybody's actually religious on here or whatever, but I remember a story from like Sunday school, Bible school, Christian school. Right. And one of the things that was really interesting, there was a story about the good Samaritan, mm-hmm. the good Samaritan mm-hmm. and the story of the good Samaritan. There's a, a guy who's basically beat up and battered on the side of the road. And all these people kind of pass him by, pass him by, pass him by all these like really high and mighty folks. And they just kind of keep passing by. No one helps this person. Then there's a Samaritan who is one dangerous in this area, shouldn't be there. And it usually wouldn't help someone of this particular race that, that is hurt on, and bleeding and dying on the side of the road. Anyway, the whole story was this guy helps him we go on. Right. <laughs> and what I, a friend of mine told me one time, he asked me about, he's like, Hey, do you know the good Samaritan story? And I just gave that really crappy rendition to him too. <laughs> right. And he said, he said, and he goes, Oh yeah, but who are you in that story? And I was like, Oh, I'm the good Samaritan. Like I, I will, I'm the, I will always help somebody. I'm not, you know, xenophobic or any, I would always, he goes, no, no, no. You're the, you're the guy beat up and battered on the side of the road. Oh, you're, you're, and we all are. And your dad is. And when he said that to me, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like I need help. Like he tried to tell me like, and then this, this situation he was talking about Jesus. He was saying like, look, like we all need it. We all need this. We need this intercession. Right. But I was looking at it going, oh my gosh, it's so much bigger than that because it's, it's, I, I'm the, I always looked at it the wrong way. And when I started to look at my father and realize that I'm down in the dirt there too. 
and I, and we both need help is when I started to have a feeling like, um, I pitied, not pitied. That's not the word, right? Just like empathetically understanding that we're both hurting in that and that we both had pain and that there was a lot more relatability. So what I knew that I had to do is that I got a, I got a phone call that my dad was in the hospital and that he was dying. And so what I got, it's, I'll, I'll skip a couple of chapters for you. And I, I, I just felt like I had to go. Right. And so I, uh, I remember at the time I, uh, somebody, one of my, this shows you how amazing my last company was uh, our, our president who, who led up our executive team paid for my flight, put me on a first class flight, put, made me go to Ohio. I, I wouldn't even want to go. And he was just like, look, I think the reason why you don't, un- don't forgive your dad is because it's the last thing you have to hold on to him. Mm. And I was like, wow. So anyway, I got on a plane, I got there and I was so, I, I like rehearsed my mind. I was going to be like, look, this is what I'm mad about and whatever. And, you know, I was going to beat him up, but of course I was going to forgive him, but I was going to give it to him, you know? Right. And I, and I walk into the hospital and I go up the thing and I I'm standing outside the door and I'd seen this man in 13 years. I haven't talked to him in 13 years and he's, he's in the hospital clearly dying. And I'm, and I'm thinking like, all right, I'm just going to tell him what I need to tell him. And I'm just going to leave. And when I walk in the room, I see this old feeble, like deteriorating man in front of me. Not, not, not the man I've been hating for 13 years in my mind. I see this, this broken human laying there, right. And the most vulnerable position and all of that just went away. All of it. Wow. I, I had no, I had not, uh, I don't mean to get so emotional, but like I had not one, I wasn't even ready for that, but I, it all just melted away. And I just went over there and I held his hand and I just said, dad, I just flew here to forgive you. And he, I mean, he sobbed like just like the really ugly sobs that we do. Right. The, the, right. the, the deep echoing, you know, stuff. So that would probably be a major moment in my life. And, uh, but it freed me up to, to be able to love people and to not have to carry this, this thing that was decaying the inside. Right. For me. And so, yeah, I'd say that was a big one. That was a really big one for me. What do you, what would you, first of all, I have goosebumps all over my body and, and I'm feeling a bit choked up myself and, um, you know, uh, I'm not going to pretend that I can understand your experience because, you know, I grew up with, with the mom and dad, they're still very close and always were in my life. But I do know that that forgiveness is something that all of us struggle with, you know, and I always say that we, um, we all want to be forgiven because we've all wronged somebody, right? We've all done made mistakes and we all want to be forgiven, but it's oftentimes really hard for us to forgive. Yeah. And, and, and for you, maybe you share to the listeners, like maybe someone out there can relate to the story, you know, your story that you just shared and, and for you to just talk about like, you know, the importance of forgiveness and, and, you know, really what that has meant for your life and, and for him. And, and maybe there's situations in their lives where, where they need to kind of step into that same space and just put all aside and say, I forgive you. I love you. It's crazy because the unforgiveness is actually way more about us than them. And like I said before, before I ever really saw it, it was the thing that there was the, the thing that I was still 
was the last little bit that I could be connected to them because I had cut everything else off. And forgiveness, by the way, doesn't mean re- like reconciliation. That's the thing I want to be really clear about. It doesn't mean like my my dad and I were super close after that moment. That wasn't it. it there was right. a lifetime of of pain and things that I had to work through, but it never had to weigh me down like the way it did before. And by the way, when I would repress all of that anger and the frustration and all the stuff and, and thinking that my his void was actually the solution. It ended up lashing. It was a lash out moments. Like things would happen or like they'd bubble over. Or like there was always a tipping point where like, you know, something would happen where I'd have an outburst. And I realized right. that the outburst was just because I was carrying around this dead weight of unforgiveness. And the moment, that moment that I got to that room and after, I mean, I, I just, I felt my heart like you for like the, it felt like for the first time, it was just like melting moment for me. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that was an unbelievable pivotal moment in my life. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, I'm not sure if you've shared that publicly a whole lot, but, uh, I, I just thank you for sharing it. And, and, you know, my, uh, my therapist, AKA expensive friend, um, early on in my healing journey, she told me that my, my secrets were my sickness and, and it's kind of like what you were saying, those things that I kept repressed and I kept pushing them down and not just not going there. So, um, anyone listening, you know, I do believe that our secrets are our sickness and those things that we just, we just don't go there one day, you know, they just, they come out in, in really ugly ways sometimes until yeah. we just really go there. Um, Marcus, like, uh, what, what is your, what is your hope? Like I, I always use the word vitamin and maybe I use it too much, but um, um, like if you're vitamin M, like vitamin Marcus, like what is it, what is this, this thing that what's your hope for the world? What's your hope for people? Um, you know, it has been a crazy, you know, nearly two years now. And even before that, you know, um, again, whether it's racially, politically, COVID, mm. um, you know, obviously you, you work in, in, in the technology world quite a bit, um, but you're seeing the impact this has had on us as people, right? This whole thing. And yeah, you know, I think that people should become obsessed. There was a moment, let me say this. There was a moment where I had to figure out what I wanted to double down on the things I really wanted to learn in this world or the impact that I want to have. I had to have a very strong vision for it, but my vision has always been for massive impact. And I knew the only way that I was going to get massive impact across all those things you said, that's not just politics, religion, and and tech and all this business stuff. There had to have been something that I can focus on that covers all aspects of that. And the one thing I went deep on was human beings. (laughs) That's a weird way to say it. But yeah, I, I I became obsessed with with human behavior, with uh, just the way that we are, the way we are, right? Like I think human behavioralists in in psychology, which was my background in school, um, I just I think that I've always had just a genuine curiosity about other people. And what I mean, I think that we get so we have been we have been conditioned to do something that is so unhuman, Matt. We have been conditioned to be isolated and alone. Yep. And I'll say this, this is not, this is not an extroverted thing and an introverted thing. In fact, most extroverts like being around people uh, or most introverts like being around people, but in an introverted way. <laughs> so exactly. Yep. So, I, so I think, I think it's very, very interesting that I, I, the one thing that I would love somebody to go and just really meditate on is one understanding yourself, which is huge. 
And yeah. that becomes that becomes an obsession too, right? Going to the depths of who you are, uh, what you believe. Like no one's going to follow anything from people that don't have definitive beliefs. Like I know that I need to. I needed to figure out me, and then I had to figure out them, right? I had to figure out others. Um, I sit and talk with people that genuinely uh, like hate other people. I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by how another human could hate another human. Like I'm just, I'm fascinated, not just because like things that have been done to them, but truly hate somebody because they're a classification of something like that actually baffles and boggles my mind. I'm still trying right. to get my head about it. Right. But the right. one thing that I would say is like the humanization needs to happen. Like as we pursue more technology, as, as like the metaverse comes, as we start talking about NFTs and crypto and like all this different stuff and how our world is emerging and we're going to space and Mars, we could stay right here right here for the next millennia and just try to figure out how to be more connected because that is what is dissipating is our connectedness and the fact that we are continually letting other people and circumstances and all those other things you say like government religion and all these things be the things that separate us not the things that bring us together right right so i'm i'm fascinated with dedicating my life to bringing people together like that's all i want to do and that'll take so many different forms uh, throughout my the rest of my life, but I want I want to help help people understand that there is no greater gift than connectedness. There's no greater gift that you can give yourself than to slow down to speed up and figure those things out about yourself, yep. and to really go deep and understand that the, that you have so much untapped resource within yourself and others. If you can connect those two dots, you are you will have an extraordinary life. And that's what I'm pursuing. That's what I'm after. And, uh, and every day is different and it's fun and I learn a lot and I fail a lot. Um, but every day I wake up really excited to pursue that. That's beautiful, man. Yeah. I think connection is one of those things and, uh, that we all need more of. There's just no question. And, and, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that I, I, you know, it's funny, like if I imagined, uh, if I lived on my own private Island and I was the only person on that Island, I would be the most miserable person like in the world. Like it, I just, I was short circuit so badly. I would have no idea how to operate. Um, my wife might say, Oh my God, that sounds like a dream. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say there's something romantic about that. And then there's, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll last for about one day with me. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And, and what, what I want in this idea of connectedness, like, you know, I know Marcus, like you're doing big things and, and we'll, we'll get to that, you know, as we start to wrap up here, like some of the big things you're doing, but the connectedness starts like in the simplest of ways, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's just a smile. It's uh, choosing just a, a couple words, um, you know, basic acknowledgement. You know, what's the saddest thing. I just read this whole study about loneliness and they interviewed so many people who said that they were lonely. And one of the things they said, they said, I feel like I'm invisible. Mm. I feel like I'm surrounded by people, yet I'm alone, right? Like there's something about just bare minimum connectedness is just acknowledging another person exists. Like we walk by people, millions of people every day. We, we rarely say hi, unless we're engaged. And when people do engage us, we always feel like they want something, right? And they're trying to steal my wallet. And I feel like that has been drilled into us that other people are scary and dangerous and we should fear people. Right. But also we don't necessarily, that's why I look at like online dating and I look at all the things that have emerged out of people that have not been given the skills to connect. 
Right. And, and, and so what, and, and even if they have the skills to connect, they don't have the opportunities because culturally it's uncouth to do right. To say hi to someone or to, to be interested in anyone else's life takes energy and effort. And we've been told to kind of, you know, we don't want to get our hands dirty. Right. <laughs> right. So, so for me, I, I think that, yeah, it's something as simple as definitely a smile, Matt, but it's also just like, how do you let other people know that you, you know, that they exist? Like that is just a, a bare baseline human thing that we can just be more mindful of every day. You know, and, and that, so I'm just thinking about that study you read and what blows my mind about things like that is you could have a room full of a hundred people and each of those people feels invisible yet. They're not doing anything to help anyone feel seen, right? It's the same thing I hear a lot about. I hear I hear this so often in LA. You know, it's really hard to make friends. Yeah. And, and, and what you have is 100 people in a room all saying it's really hard to make friends instead of just actually trying to make friends. Do you know, do you know what it kills me about LA? I know why LA feels like that, by the way. I've been to LA so many times, but I always feel like it's because everybody's from everywhere and nobody really stays that long. Right. And it always feels like I'm going through the airport. That's how I always feel like LA, like LA is just big, LA, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. But, but, but what, but what, but what I'm saying is like, I think that people, my prediction is anybody who doubles down on creating communities or finding ways that aid creating community, um, both that, both in the technology space, both just in personal, if you create and, and, and own a community that's thriving, connecting where people are seen, where they're heard, where they're challenged, because like, if you've ever studied, um, you know, basically attachment theory, which is something that people should just go Google because I'm not going to explain it very well. But if you get into it, the cores of that are people being seen, heard and challenged, right? You can create community that props that up, connects people, and you know how to do it in a unique way. You are about to be a very successful person for the next, you know, until you die, because everybody moving forward is going to need that. And everybody moving forward doesn't know how to get it. And so I, I think that, yeah, I'm super focused on that now. I'm super focused on, on creating community where people can feel like you just said, like not just a smile, but how do you truly feel known to others and that there's a correct environment for people to, to feel that way. So I, yes, I, all those things and LAX is totally what LA is, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and I, and I agree with you for, uh, regarding LA and, and LAX and, um, And so I'm not disagreeing with you, but even inside airports or inside LA, there still are ways to make people feel seen, right? And you can either walk through the airport with horse spiners on, or you can say hi to people, um, or you can choose to argue whether or not you should be wearing a mask to the, to the flight attendant who, why, why do we need to go there? So drag you off the plane. Right. So exactly (laughs) as they should. Um, So Marcus, what's next, man? What do you, what are you working on right now? I, uh, speaking of community, what, what are some things you're working on? And, and, yeah. um, you know, if people want to get a hold of you for, for, you know, why would someone want to get a hold of you today? <laughs> why you know, do you, I, why would you, anybody ever want to, I, uh, I have no idea why they would, but if well, they don't, did, don't send me, don't send me an email like Matt. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> if, if I won't get it. <laughs> My assistant will be like, why did you get an influx of all these different people? Who are emailing about stuff? Um, so yeah, the, 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 I am building something really cool. So uh, about 18 months ago, when I did leave my job and want to create something where I can be more inclusive of my family and do stuff that's like, oh, I built this and this is something, you know, also this is an interesting thing. When I was in Italy for my 10 year wedding anniversary, I went to a guy, have you ever seen this show called chef's table, Matt? No. Everybody on here, go watch chef's table on Netflix season one, episode one. It's about Massimo Batura. 
who okay. is a brilliant chef from Italy, who's like a rock star chef, like Gucci and all these, all these people want to connect with him. And he's doing these big things in the world. And he's got a huge personality and he just grabs life by the freaking throat. And he's just awesome. Right. Him and his wife, Laura. Well, anyway, I, I saw that episode. I got so inspired. I was excited. I wanted to go to Italy and um, take Gino, whose family's from Italy. And we, I'd never been there with her. And so we planned this whole big trip and I was going to surprise her and go to their freaking three Michelin star restaurant called Osteria Francesca, but it had a two-year waiting list, Matt. Oh my God. <laughs> so, oh my, oh my so God. I was, I was, I was emailing and emailing and getting on a waiting list every day. And I was just literally emailing. And finally I get a phone call two weeks before we leave from London. It said Modena on my phone, which is where they live in Modena. And, um, which is also where Ferrari is from, which is pretty cool. But anyway, they live there and I got a phone call. I'm like, Oh my God, did I get in the restaurant? Did I, did we get in? And they're like, Oh no, sir, but can you hold on a second? And then they come back and they're like, we couldn't get you in the restaurant, but would you like to come out to Massimo and Laura's house for dinner? <laughs> and it's like this new concept that they were having. Like they're going to bring like the 10 people out to the, their house and it's like converted and they're whatever. And I was sitting there going like, what? And I'm like blown away. So we go to their house. It's everything you'd think of just wild art everywhere. Beautiful. Their dogs begging by the table. It was insane, but they like did all of their Michelin star dishes. And they told us all the stories and I was listening to their story mm. and it was hard and it was so difficult. And they had built this empire, but there was a moment where it didn't look like any of it was going to happen, but they had to go out. And I looked at Gina and I said, you know what? I don't want to be interviewed as an expert for the things I know. I want to be interviewed someday for the thing I built. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's honestly like this, this big trajectory, which got me to start my first real business here, which is called the 5%. And it's getting ready to launch. We're in our seed round of funding, Matt, which is cool. But yeah, the, the 5%, uh, which is the 5%.com, which is T-H-E-F-I-V-E, all spelled out, the 5%.com. And what that is, is that's going to be a community for early stage entrepreneurs. It's going to be, like I said, creating community of people all over the world coming together under a single vision, which is to go all the way down to the depths of uh, the bedrock, build a really great foundation and build their skyscraper. And we want to teach them how to do that. We want to be with them. We also like really focus in on athletes as well, which is cool because entrepreneurship and athletes are very, you know, Mm -hmm. it it has a great blend to it and we want to be alongside them, but really traditional education is totally failing entrepreneurship. And I think that we just need to meet it where it's practical and people can implement and be actionable and learn from people that are like practitioners, like people that are, that are actually doing it and have built great businesses. So that's what I've been building. That's the big thing, how people can connect with me. I, I would love for anybody who is resonating and running in the same direction (laughs) to totally come over and connect with me. I I have a a very active LinkedIn presence, obviously, like Matt said in the very beginning of our conversation. So you can find me there by just typing in Marcus Murphy. You can also, uh, if you're daring enough, you can email, you can email me, um, which is going to be interesting. And I, you know what, Matt, I'm going to give out my personal email here. Oh, wow. Just make make sure you word it well, (laughs) but listen, I don't, I don't want to be pitched on anything. I don't want any of that stuff. I'm going to create this email address, which is kind of where it's a catch-all for some things, but let me know in the subject line that you heard this show and tell me um, what you're up to. And if you're running the right direction, you're building something, you got a big vision, something resonated from the show. Um, yeah. Feel free to shoot me an email. If you want me to uh, do something for you. <laughs> I don't know if I can get to it this this year uh, because I'm pretty busy, but I do I do love genuinely connecting with people and um, and I'm happy to do that. So my email is Marcus. It's very difficult. Dot Murphy at gmail.com. 
And that is not my work one. That's not going to go ever. That's my personal email address. And if you feel daring enough and you feel like you've got some burning in your soul after this episode, uh, I definitely want to hear from you personally. So uh, give me a little time and some grace on the reply, but I will get back to you at some point. Uh, that was just a heck of a gift you just threw out there, man. Uh, listeners, if, if take him up on it, if you do have something that you think is, you know, aligning with what he just uh, shared and Marcus, uh, for the record, uh, just a few moments ago, when you were talking about your Italian experience, um, yeah. you were not white or black. You were super Italian right there. Like there was, was, a, <laughs> there was a difference between white and Italian for that moment. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spoke with my hands. I was, I was yelling. Yeah, dude. I mean, you were. Yeah. I love. I love Italian food and I think everybody <laughs> should, if it didn't make me, uh, you know, if I didn't gain so much weight, I'd eat a lot more, but yeah, that, that was a big moment for me. Massimo Batura is a, is a North star for me. And just the, the, the it changed my life that moment because that's part of the moment where I was like, ah, oh, my story hasn't even been written yet. And I, I I've been, I've been, I've been inside of and in the fold of someone else's story doing great by the way, but I do have a story to write and I just needed to get on with it. Yeah. And, and the one piece about that, that I thought a lot about was that it was hard work. Mm. Right. And, and in in life, life is, can be hard work and creating something 5%, right. It's, it's not any get rich quick scheme. Like sometimes you just got to put in the work, whether that's for your personal stuff or your professional stuff. Nothing replaces putting in the hard work. You're going to like this, what I, what, I, what I thought of when you were saying that. The stuff that matters mm-hmm. is worth that hard work. It really is. If it, if it matters to you and it matters to where you're going, it's a very good barometer to being, whether that's really important or not, being able to do the slog of the work that it takes to get where you have to go, it doesn't have to be terrible, it right. doesn't, but it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Marcus, man, I can't thank you enough for, for being here in the middle with me. It's just been such a pleasure, such a treat. And, uh, and for me to, not that you need my help in sharing with the world who you are, but to get to share with the world who you are through this podcast is just, it's been incredible. So uh, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing your heart as a, as a, as a big dude with uh, big dudes who share their hearts, man. I'm fans of for sure. So uh, <laughs> thanks for everything, man. Yeah, I'll be in the middle with you any day. So thank you, dude. Mm, love it. So listeners, you've gotten to learn a lot of great lessons and ideas and vitamins, as I called them, for all these different guests I had in the first season. But one thing I will tell you, when Marcus just gave you his information to contact him, my advice for you is to do it. Reach out to him. Uh, you'll be very glad you did. And I just want to thank all you listeners for enjoying this first season of this podcast it's been so enjoyable for me to share people's stories and I can't wait to do my second season, which will be coming very soon. In the meantime, please share this with your friends and family and, and I can't wait to see you again for season two. Thanks so much. You matter.